Hey guys, welcome to episode three of the Matt and Sheen podcast. Uh, welcome back. Um, firstly, you know, thank you so much for your awesome feedback over the first two episodes. Um, we really appreciate the support uh, you're giving us. Uh, it's much appreciated. Um, we've got a special treat for you guys. Um, we have a end of year special with co-founder and director of uh, Zero, Gary Turner, uh, with us today. So without further ado, uh, we'll just shoot straight into it. So we've got uh, Gary Turner here, the uh, co-founder of Zero and managing director of Zero UK. Gary, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for kind of taking the time to be here. Um, I know you're probably winding down for the holidays, or is it getting busier? What, what, what are you kind of seeing at the moment? Somehow it's still quite busy. I wish it had started to wind down, um, but uh, I'm just back from uh, a flying visit to New Zealand last week. Just got back on Friday and a uh, pretty full diary this week, but hopefully by Friday when it begins to really shut up shop after Christmas break, then hopefully it might be winding down there. Cool. So we'll just kick off. I mean, you know, the biggest uh, event of the year that we've got, ZeroCon London's just happened. Um, kind of leave you to it. Give us your thoughts and, and kind of what you thought about it. I, I thought it was a great event. Um, what we think is one thing, I think, um, I, I, I'm, I tend to be guided by what the delegates think. And judging by that, um, they also thought it was a great event too, which is, is good enough for me, I think. Um, ZeroCon is interesting um, in that if you've never been to ZeroCon before, um, you probably come with a pre-set set of expectations that's an accounting conference. Uh, maybe it's like a sales conference and it's all about rah, rah, rah and all very promotional about zero. Um, and it's none of those things, I think. I think it, it's a different kind of event. It's very much defined by the community. Um, it's therefore a community event. The people that come to ZeroCon tend to profile a certain way and that they're looking for a network, they're looking for that sense of community, they have a learning mindset, they're open to new ideas and so therefore ZeroCon is very much um, that kind of event in some respects it's, a, it's, it's like birds of a feather coming together and also a bit like an annual reunion of friends as well and so there's a really good positive progressive forward thinking vibe at ZeroCon which we're very lucky um, to have um, the responsibility of maintaining and developing and so um, clearly there's a dimension to it which is about what's happening in, in Zero's world so there's product, um, there's some big announcements that we made, there's some new product innovations which is kind of like the traditional software conference part of it but there's many more um, things at ZeroCon not about Zero that I think uh, our delegates love, whether that's the exhibitors and the sponsors that go. Um, we had something like 75 exhibitors this year, and again, great innovations in that world and in the external speakers that we had along. Um, and uh, and actually what, what the delegates get out of it themselves and what they bring to it themselves. So it's, it's, it's an incredible event. and. Um, yeah, we're looking forward to see how we can make it even bigger yeah. and better next year. Absolutely, because it was mine and Sheen's first ZeroCon, and I think we both had high expectations of it, just from speaking with the team here and obviously our own partners around the UK as well, and it just blew them out of the water, even then. Um, it's blew my mind, just speaking to so many, I think, forward-thinking firms, the app partners, the keynotes were incredible. It was just 
most insane two two and a half days that I've I've ever had, uh, and certainly a workplace environment. Um, I don't know about you. Yeah, I've always wondered where where does the inspiration for ZeroCon come from? Because it's quite interesting, you know, when there's a lot of hype around like Apple's WWDC. Um, Microsoft have their um, like big event every year. Um, Google has their like I/O conference every year, and you can kind of get the sense that like Zero models it based on a big tech conference, like you said. It's not your traditional kind of accounting conference. Like, where do you think that that comes from? I think that's definitely a big part of the DNA uh, in terms of how ZeroCon runs. I mean, so technology, software um, conferences are not a new thing. Um, but the the experience that you get is uh, is very different to perhaps what you'd see at an industry event, um, and so I think we've certainly brought some of those principles of great production quality and yeah. good coffee, and and really think about the the delegate experience, and not just about the content. I think a lot of conferences focus on the content, and they have very interesting speakers along perhaps. Um, but they don't think about how to optimize that as a learning opportunity, as an experience for the delegates. And, and I think the software industry is probably pretty good at that and has a pretty high bar. And we've certainly brought some of those principles to, to ZeroCon. Um, and, and therefore, if you're attending ZeroCon and you're working in the accounting industry in the UK, then you probably haven't been to anything like that before. I think that's what people are, are most... Um, most excited about is that this is not like something that anything that they'd been at before and even we're surprised I and mean, we knew it was going to be big and we knew I'd seen the plans and I'd seen mm. everything else and, and even I was blown away by the scale of it mm. and I learned a lesson about four years ago when we were building ZeroCon 2015 it would have been and we'd left it kind of late actually in a lot of the prep and and um, and I was a bit concerned that perhaps we'd uh, not given it enough time to really kind of settle in terms of the agenda and the content and, and I, was, I was a bit worried about it actually um, but then I learned and this was uh, February 2015 when we were at the Battersea Evolution in Battersea Park is that so Zero's responsible for booking the venue, paying for the coffees, getting the, you know, like the logistics of it and clearly it's our, it's our as, as principally the, the person or the organisation that's running the event and it's, and it's a zero event but actually we're only contributing half of it, the, the rest of it's the, what it is, the delegation and, and I learned an important lesson then as long as you get people along as long as and it's particularly the zero community then the delegates make the event the real success that it is, so we, we, we do half of it and then the people that come along bring the other half of the value and, and and this year was no exception to that. It was great. Hmm. It's a sense of like meeting in the middle, I guess, right? So we do our bit and we bring all of our energy, but the delegates have to bring the other fifty percent, and that's what makes it a really wholesome and great event. Yeah, and I and we also have very high standards, and and um, uh, it's like there can be no such thing as a six or a seven out of ten zero con. <laughs> you know what I mean? That that feels like we're not trying hard enough. Um, we can live with an 8 out of 10 we really want to be a 9 or a 10 out of 10 yeah. because that I think says that we're upholding this ambition that we have for it to be a great experience for the delegates and so when we're building ZeroCon and when we're considering how it should come together every year we're trying to do the best bloody job we can do because we don't want 
you know, the day somebody comes to ZeroCon and thinks, yeah, it was okay, um, the minute they think, will I come back next year or not, maybe I'll skip a year, then we're beginning to lose that, that, mm. that connection, I think, um, with why ZeroCon is such an important responsibility to, to our community that we have, we have to kind of nurture and protect and cherish that. And, and so we have, to, we have to, we shoot for the best possible experience as, as we can. And, and, and so far, so good. So six zero cones down, we've, we've managed to improve them every year. So we just have the daunting task of trying to do that again next year, but I'm sure <laughs> we'll come up with something. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned uh, zero cones of past years. What do you think has been the general change in perception of cloud accounting over the last four, five, six, seven, eight years? I think it's definitely become, um, every year it gets a little more mainstream and a little more... Um, normalized in people's expectations. Um, I think it's fair that if you think seven years ago, ten years ago, um, this idea of cloud software, I mean cloud software, let's, let's be, be clear here, I mean the idea of running an application in a web browser is over 20 years old. So cloud software as a construct, as a way of using technology that you don't install on a PC's hard disk and then run it the way you would run normal software. It's not a new concept. And I mean, you've had things like um, Microsoft acquired Hotmail in 1997 and the idea of sending an email from an internet cafe halfway around the world was revolutionary 20 years ago. NetSuite is 20 years old as a business. So the idea of cloud software is not new. The acceptance of it though is relatively still quite um, early on. I think it's accelerated a lot in the last five years. I think that um, people are just from, are more familiar with the basic premise of it, that you um, you can take a photograph on your phone and you don't have to worry about backing it up or, or connecting your, your phone. I don't know, the last time I connected my phone to my computer yeah. to do a backup. Yeah. It's years since I've had to do that. But 10 years ago, that was the only way you could get things off your phone, unless you emailed them to yourself, which is weird. Um, <laughs> but this idea of the, 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 the cloud just automatically, whether it's iCloud or Google Photos, just automatically takes care of that. Um, or you can watch um, something you missed on TV on iPlayer on the train, or you can watch Netflix or, or, or whatever. I think people have just become, as consumers, we've just become much more comfortable with this idea of I'm no longer wedded to the hard disk of my computer. Because like, unless it was there, it was nowhere 10 years ago. And now that, that data and photos and transactions and software can, can live online. And so I think we've benefited from that and that people are much more comfortable with the idea of accounting and business processes and data being on the cloud. Ten years ago, people used to say to me, do you know what, I'm not sure about putting my financial information on the internet. And that was a legitimate concern. Still is a legitimate concern because you have to make sure where you're storing your data is, is, um, is, an, is a kind of fine and upstanding citizen online and clearly we put a lot of effort into making sure we're secure and respecting our customers' data. Um, and so that's still a concern today for people, but it was like a fundamental concern 10 years ago. Like, what you'd be insane to do that 10 years ago. And I think people are much more comfortable with it today, which is great for us. 
So this yeah. kind of becomes a really fundamental concept when it comes to feeding through some of the things we discussed at ZeroCon, going into more detail around the product side of things, some of the things we're introducing for 2019. One of the main themes that um, went through from kind of end to end, uh, obviously we had the human and heart as the main um, as the main concept behind ZeroCon, but underneath that, some of the underlying themes was code-free accounting. Um, and then around that, things like the acquisition of Instafile and our bank feeds API all feed into this concept of being comfortable in the cloud and comfortable with um, leaving data and machines to kind of help us process. So why, why is that so important and why were the announcements at ZeroCon so important for the future of code-free accounting? I think it's important to step back and if you consider what Zero was a decade ago, we were largely defined by what made us different from what people were using 10 years ago and the biggest difference there would be, well, you don't install Zero or you don't download Zero and, and put it on your PC and then double click an icon and then Zero loads up, you access Zero through a browser or through a mobile interface. But that was really the principal thing that people recognized about what made Zero different 10 years ago. Um, and therefore we were largely defined by the prevailing desktop accounting software world. And therefore the expectations that people had 10 years ago were very much governed by what they happened to be using at that time. And I think 10 years on, well clearly um, we've grown and we've added capability and, and, and value and features in the product. I think expectations have also moved on. Partly because we exist and we didn't exist um, before before the cloud uh, kind of generation, I guess. And so, therefore, I think when we think about strategy, we're very much not being governed by this 2008 world of, of accounting software. It's by the 2018 world of accounting software. And what is it going to look like in 2028? Um, I'm much less about competing with desktop software. So when, when we think, therefore, about what we should be investing in, um, it's building on the platform that exists today and looking at, well, what else needs to be part of that experience for our customers? What problems are we solving in the future, not what problems are we trying to kind of replicate solutions to for the past? And obviously making tax digital is a big theme and, and not just making tax digital, but this general progressive move to digitization across all business industries, not least accounting, uh, is a significant trend and we'll see that accelerate. Um, and so whether it's making touch digital or whether it's adoption of cloud technologies by small businesses and by accountants, we think will mean that people will look for a different set of experiences and values from their accounting software than they did today and, and 10 years ago. And so we were excited about um, thinking how can we supercharge that whole financial services engagement. So we've we've obviously been working with banks and this idea of a bank feed in zero is not a new concept, although it was 10 years ago. It's now accepted that that's a really cool and essential part of, of like keeping on top of cash flow management is having great banking data being pumped in daily. But what we see is uh, an ever increasing number of use cases for that data and connections to banks for other reasons and other financial institutions not least the new ones that are emerging, so TransferWise and Starling and some of the new new businesses that we've connected with. And so 
rethinking how we do that was, was a big announcement that we made around the Bank Feeds API, which just accelerates and speeds up the number of the new connections we can build, which we think will help our customers. And then we thought, um, in the making tax digital context, with the idea of the digitization of tax accelerating in the next decade, um, then the job of compliance, we think, will also change shape. Um, and, um, and, and when you look at the capability that we provide accountants, particularly um, in terms of compliance, then there were, there were a couple of areas that we felt that we, with, with this next generation of digital compliance emerging, we should have, have a dog in that hunt. And so it was great that we were able to announce the acquisition of Instafile, who are one of our newest ecosystem partners who built a, a corporation tax and personal tax and accounts production capability, which are the three kind of last components of compliance that you, you don't get in zero standard but we think are now, um, and it's important for us to have that there and really put our shoulder behind this transition to a digital tax system in the next decade. And so we were really excited about that and, and the delegates were, I think, probably most interested in that. That was the thing <laughs> yeah. that got the biggest round of applause, I think. Yeah. And, and so exciting about what that means for, for our partners in the, next, in the next couple of years. Yeah. This is... Um this is really interesting because I think one of the kind of, not, I wouldn't say themes or topics, but one of the indicators to me that I've seen is our ability to go deeper into the finance ecosystem. And especially not just with Instafile and HelpDoc because we've acquired them, but with our partners and building deeper connections with the likes of the lending apps or cash flow forecasting apps um, with banks going deeper into our ecosystem with our colleagues and partners in the fintech space is a sign of progression and growth in the whole ecosystem of fintech as a whole, like serving customers in the UK. Um, would you say that's kind of something that you see growing over the long term? Yeah, I think, I, I think it really is um, about us shaping and building this next generation of, of support services or tools or networks for small businesses and and if the first 10 years of zero's life were defined by just kind of making the grade and just like well we'll get to parity with the kind of value you you would have on desktop accounting software um, now and and we're now getting into the world of what can you only do in the cloud what can you only do when you have a network of hundreds of service providers or accountants, or advisors, or app developers, or banks, or, or whatever that surround that, that that community of, of, of um, stakeholders that surround all small businesses. When we can when we can connect them, real time online, whatever you are and whatever context you happen to be in, then that gives us permission and the opportunity to really radically rethink of well, how can we do a much better job of of solving some of those critical problems that all small businesses still struggle with. There's lots more technology than there was um, a decade or so ago, but there are many more small businesses also. And I think uh, the web and the proliferation of online and e-commerce um, uh, tools and, and business models has meant that there has been an explosion in the number of company formations in the last couple of decades. And we think, our bet is that we think that that will continue um, to, to be the case and that not so there's something like 5.7 million businesses in the UK and, and we think 
but what would the world be like if there were 20 million businesses in the UK? Because the, the, the task of setting up and running a small business will be effectively effortless or will become, um, or certainly trending to that. And so that, again, uh, means that we need to think quite differently about how we're building how we're building solutions. I have to say, we have to counterbalance some of that blue sky stuff. We have to do the basics really well also. Of course. And yeah. it's not for everybody that they want to connect up their fintech service mm -hmm. providers, but certainly for the generation of businesses and entrepreneurs that want to do that, then we want to, we want to give them the best choice possible. At the same time as having a great core platform of, of, of value that you can get your VAT returned on and you can be MTD compliant and you can pay your people and, and everything else. But I think it's... I think it's a, a real responsibility that we have um, to help um, help that small business community and help build a, a great and vibrant economy enabled by technology, not kind of um, not kind of obscured by it. Yeah, just linking on to the small businesses actually links in pretty well. So, say you put yourself in a you're an MD of a small business, or you're the only person in a small business, starting from scratch in 2019. Where do you start? What bit of advice would you give yourself? Well, that presupposes you've already worked out that there is a market for your business. So let's assume <laughs> that you've got a great idea yeah. and uh, you, you're, you know what you're doing. Um, where, where would you start? I think, um, I think, uh, and I can only really relate to the journey that we've been on, I think there are many more channels and routes to market or at least in terms of getting known as a business than there were 10 years ago and, and I mean the obvious ones are social media and LinkedIn and the power of that when you when you can do that properly um, and so I guess depending on what line of business you're in what industry you're in um, then there, then I think coming up with a really clear sense of what your identity is as a business what you stand for, what your values are, and how you want to communicate them externally, not least why people should consider buying your product or your service wrapped around that. Um, so I think that, for, I, mean, I, I remember, um, and I still have these, I remember when we were getting going in the early days, I would set up Google Alerts um, for any time. So, like so Google Alerts are basically just like doing a search in Google and then seeing the results that come up. But what a Google Alert basically does is it lets you say, and anytime somebody says anything about this yeah. subject, like zero, for example, or cloud accounting, or maybe a zero competitor, then let me know. Uh, the minute a new web page appears, the minute a news article appears, the minute somebody leaves a comment on a forum somewhere, um, and because that's an opportunity for us to engage in some way, and um, I still get these alerts, although I don't need to respond to them personally anymore. But in the <laughs> early days, I was the only person in the UK that was, was like in that, wow. that world for zero. Um, we didn't have a social media team, so if anybody asked any questions, then it was kind of down to me to think about answering them. And, and, I, and I think it's hard to quantify the impact that that has had, but I think being present being almost omnipresent in those communities so whenever somebody mentions zero you're like there five minutes later yeah. without being creepy about it yeah. um, and answering a question so for example somebody would go onto accounting web in 2008 2009 and ask a question does zero do multi-currency or 
does zero have inventory or does zero do this or does zero do that and of course when you have no users nobody's going to answer that question because there aren't enough people out there yeah. that are using zero and that visit accounting web often enough to notice yeah. these questions being asked and of course nobody would then answer the question which then tells the questioner like oh my god nobody's using this product that tells me something about this this seems quite early on and so I um, I would have an alert set up that the minute anybody asked a question about zero, um, I'd find out about it and I would drop whatever I was doing, which again in the startup days you're doing 15 different things, and I would answer it. And I would go into Accounting Web and I'd say, yes, it does do multi-currency and here's the link to the help page, or yes, it does do this or it does do that, or this is the price of the product. Um, and providing you don't do that in a way where you're like overtly selling and yeah. people don't like that, clearly, and not everybody realises. And so as long as you're in and out and very kind of soberly answering, helpfully answering the question without it becoming a sales pitch, then I, I, it's hard to quantify, but it must have had an impact in ensuring that those very first people that started playing with Zero at the beginning at least had a positive experience of engaging with us. We were present, attentive, helpful, not trying to sell you something, answering your questions and being cool about it. Um, and, and I think that, that that must have been important for us. And so I think if I was setting up a business today, I'd probably, depending on what industry I was in, I'd, I'd like set up a whole lot of Google Alerts just to see what was happening in my industry. If I'm in hospitality or if I'm in tourism yeah. or from whatever I'm in, there's a lot of stuff happening. And to keep connected to that, that pulse of what's happening in your industry mm. as you're building a startup business, I think is so critical. Um, lots of things you could do, but that, that, that would certainly be one of the one of the anchors that I would rely on, just making sure I knew anything and everything that was happening in my world and how I could in some way engage with that. And I think that's a really new way for, for startup businesses to build that engagement and build that mm. brand early on. It's good practical advice. Yeah. Um, it's not always you get practical advice yeah. when starting a business, so I think a lot of people would appreciate that. Um, so do you, think, do you think businesses in the next kind of, you know, one to five years can be a lot more nimble nowadays. Um, the reason I ask that is just because obviously we value the accountant as the advisor. And I think for a small business today, it's actually easier for an accountant to get involved in a business at a much earlier stage, as opposed to maybe in the old days where you had to wait until you could afford one or wait until you could afford an ERP accounting system or a very expensive piece of accounting kit. Um, Whereas nowadays, I think, you know, it's a lot easier to get set up on the likes of Zero or any of its competitors. Um, you can get in touch with an accountant or bookkeeper a lot easier through any of the advisor directories or maybe accountants have online presence um, and don't necessarily need clunky, expensive systems to get set up. So would you say that makes businesses more nimble? I think so. I think that, so I remember, um, so I was, I turned 50 this year. Congratulations. So I, I'm not so sure. Um, and so I remember um, my first couple of jobs were before the internet was yeah. a thing in business, before the web was a thing. So the early, very back end, so my first, my first job in software was 1989. So very late 80s into the early 90s and certainly before the web burst onto the scene. And, and I remember the old world of business, therefore I'm, I'm old enough to have a connection to that world where um, a fax machine was considered quite revolutionary in terms of communications efficiency. 
probably fewer than 5% of businesses were using email internally, never made externally. This yeah. was, of course, before um, the web and, and kind of um, SMTP email, who were you going to send an email to? So corporate email, although it been, had been around for like 40 or 50 years, was like the preserve of very large companies. And so SMBs weren't, do weren't doing email. A fax machine was as rocket science as you got. Telephone was a kind of prevalent communications mechanism, and you'd, you'd literally. Um, I remember I was in a, a software business, um, and I'd literally be like specifying kind of inst installations of networks and systems and software and design specifications for some software that we were building, and I'd literally handwrite it, handwrite it, and then go to our typing pool. And put it in an entry and that was if you were lucky then there was a few people on holiday and there was maybe only two or three ahead of you in the queue but if you timed it wrongly then you might have to wait two days if not longer <laughs> to then get the first draft of a printout bag where uh, this typist would have taken your handwritten scrawl and turned it into like a letter literally a letter <laughs> with like some like That's words incredible. on it and you'd then review that draft and go, oh, no, that didn't mean that. And you'd literally then annotate changes. You'd then put it back into the typing pool. And then maybe about a day later, you'd get the final draft. And then you would post it. Or if you were particularly desperate, you would hand deliver it to your customer. And that's only 25 mm -hmm. years ago. Um, and so I think it's... Um, this, this journey that businesses have been on, whether you're as old and gray as I am or, or, or not so old this this journey of becoming more nimble as you put it or just much more efficient we've been on it for a long time and yeah. we used to be the opposite of nimble 25 mm -hmm. years ago um, and, and I think it's a continuum that we're constantly moving down and so I think a business that started a decade ago versus a business that starts today the business that starts today doesn't have to worry about um, like a file server and a Installing and acquiring like Microsoft Exchange for email yeah. and, um, and and backup tapes and all, all the paraphernalia that you'd need 20 odd years ago. You'd sign up for Google G Suite or Office mm -hmm. 365. Um, you'd have a whole bunch of apps that you'd literally, and over the course of a lunchtime eating a cheese and tomato sandwich, you'd sign up for <laughs> and deploy. Um, and so, so the IT overhead has effectively been compressed to almost zero. Um, and the efficiency that a tiny business can now wield um, compared with their peers 20 years ago is a is hundred times more efficient, a hundred times more nimble, if not a thousand times more nimble. And I think that's just going to continue. I think empowering personal productivity and company productivity organizational productivity has been the kind of order of the day for the last three decades and I think it's going to continue and, and it's and, and I and I what excites me is that although I've been in this industry for like 30 years I think the next 20 years are arguably even more exciting than the last yeah, 30 years yeah. I remember and I remember being excited about dot matrix printers and color <laughs> screens and things like that but but the, the fundamental opportunity that businesses now have to drive incredible efficiencies and I think Small businesses will do a much better job of this than me even medium-sized businesses because they have that agility and they yeah. have that lack of complexity. 
And so I think, and I've written about this in the past, is I think the, the next era will be defined by not um, how, so your scale will be important, but it used to be, the economies of scale, it used to be about how big you were and how much kind of manpower or money you could throw at a problem would be your advantage. Um, I think it's, it's much less about economies of scale and now, uh, there was a great quote, at work, I forget where I read it, but it's economies of scope. It's like, what do you want to do? Because yeah. your size doesn't really matter mm -hmm. anymore. How far reaching do you want your business processes to be? How automated do you want them to be? It's no longer how many people do you have as the ultimate governor or mm -hmm. how, how, how big your, your ambition is going to be. So it's, I think it's really exciting where it's, where it's all leading to. Yeah, it's Certainly. stuff like this that gives me so much pride to work here. Yeah, hundred percent. Just feels like you're at the center of yeah. everything that's going on. Isn't that amazing? It feels like that. Yeah, yeah I love that. And, yeah. and so I, 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 I just, I'm a relic now of a bygone <laughs> age. Um, and, uh, and and consider my, myself to be incredibly fortunate to be um, to have like front row seats yeah. on yeah. where this industry is going to go, mm. and and to have a part, even a small part in shaping that is yeah. very very cool. Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to touch upon something that's a little bit personal to me because I've gone through like a really negative experience with banks, um, especially like since moving to the UK earlier this year, like the incumbent banks were just not ready or prepared to deal with somebody who just moved here and has no credit history here. And so using a challenger bank like, completely changed my life. So just talking about like being at the center of things and, um, you know, having a front row seat, seat to change, I think. What are your thoughts on that, on the banking space in particular? So my daughter was 16 yesterday, okay. and I invited her to join Monzo, because I'd, I'd been playing with a few of the banks, and Monzo pinged up in my inbox and said I had a golden ticket to invite somebody, and now she's 16, she can open a bank account. And I, I considered that she, that that's actually quite a telling um, uh, kind of change, I think. I remember opening my bank account when I was 16 or 17, a very long time ago, and it was literally a very formalized, yeah. like it was almost like seeking permission yeah. to have a bank account. And it was this like formal, almost legal process that um, I, hope, I, hope I, I hope they give me one. You know what I mean? I hope I, I, hope I don't fail this test. Um, and I think uh, it, it's fair that that old experience is not really what people are looking for anymore. Mm. Clear, mm. Not, not even traditional banks, maybe quite not as bad. Anymore as they were in the 1980s, but um, I think that you know, so my daughter will she will, will look for a, 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 an experience, whether it's her bank or any other aspect of her kind of like personal life in the next few years. She'll be she'll be driven by probably uh, convenience and experience yeah. rather than like tradition. Yeah. And I think that's a big shift that's happening. That's clearly a generational shift. Um, but I think that, you know, you know I think uh, I've seen so much change in the technology industry. If you want to look at an industry that has been completely transformed, is regularly overturned and regenerated every five or ten years, one minute you're on top, the next minute you're, like, nowhere, and there's constantly to, to, to stay ahead and to innovate. And it's the technology industry. It's yeah. the industry I've been in for the last 30 years. And I've seen like more change in the world of technology than any industry in the last 30 years. 
one of like one piece of advice is never write a technology book. You get you get yeah. into like mm. Waterstones or something like that. You know what I mean? And and the guy that wrote like Dummy's Guide to SQL Server version seven, that book was probably <laughs> probably like. Uh, contemporary uh, for about five months or something mm. like that and was then replaced <laughs> by the new one yeah. and, and and whether it's like some technical kind of uh, uh, change or just like the fundamentals of business I mean Blackberry a decade ago was like yeah. Yeah. the be all and end all Nokia and where are they now uh, and so I've been in an industry that has constantly challenged and, and, and brutally like killed off businesses that didn't mm. keep up with that change and so therefore I think as the world is becoming more technologically influenced and articulated because we're using technology more, um, then I think that influence is, is kind of invading other industries. And, and so I think if you, wanna, if you want a good lens for what's your survival strategy, whether you're a traditional bank or whether you're an estate agent or whether you're the guy that shows up at the football and sells pork pies um, sorry, uh, and bovril or whatever at football matches, <laughs> um, maybe they won't be disrupted by technology so much but um, technology is, is huge for disruption it's brutal mm. um, and I think that um, I think that's now in banking I think that's now in all those industries where people don't put up with kind of like processes that take days we, we I don't know if it's necessarily all that healthy but we are now living in a world where we seek instant gratification. Mm. It's like, well, why can't 100%. I have an answer to this question right now? I want to press a button on my phone and have yes or no. I don't want to fill in a form and post it and then like wait for the postman to show up or whatever. We live in this world of instant gratification, which is, as I say, mostly healthy, but sometimes not. Um, and, and I think that those same disruptions that we see born by technology are inevitably now Im impacting other industries because as they adopt technology, then the benefits and the advantages of technology and disruption begin mm. to become prevalent in those industries also. So yeah. it's like, it, it's unavoidable. Every industry will have some form of change or disruption. Maybe not the guy selling pies or the football. <laughs> you mentioned like this massive change in technology developments hiking tenfold year on year on year one of the things one of the two factors in, in tech that's just developing continuously is machine learning and artificial intelligence and there's a broad spectrum but what are your thoughts on that um so, so um as a kind of card carrying technologist like like biologically love that stuff yeah. really curious about it yeah w w what can we do with that um so that really gets my imagination fired up um I guess I'm also a little bit, uh, there's a bit of fatigue because mm. there's so much coverage about it and, and technology. Gartner came up with this whole um, model for modeling how technology products, new technologies and innovations get adopted and, and, and it basically follows this kind of curve where um, there's some initial interest um, which then accelerates to what they call the um, there's, a, there's a, a peak of inflated expectations. So you have this massive ramp up to the, the peak and, and at the moment the products that are probably at the peak of inflated expectations are things like electric cars, yeah, um, yeah. like Amazon Echo, Bitcoin a year ago. Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all, all and then, and then, then all of a sudden, people go, oh, wait a minute, this is actually not as cool mm. 
as you said it was a year ago and it's not quite as simple as that and it isn't quite ready yet mm. um, and products and new technologies then fall into what Gartner calls the trough of disillusionment where they almost like become out of fashion and it's in that trough of disillusionment that those the people that are building those products then take on customer feedback and then go okay well let's like let's see how we can learn from that and then make this something that goes mainstream and eventually <clears throat> successful products come out of that trough and then kind of scale back up to being mainstream adoption um, and so um, I think that AI and machine learning are probably at that kind of peak of inflated expectations part we also bring this kind of Hollywood mentality to it that is like all about robots coming and Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> kind of clones um, and I think that probably speaks more to our simplistic understanding of it rather than what's really going to happen. Um, I think even the most um, the smartest academics think that generalized artificial intelligence is at the earliest 30 or 40 years away and possibly as long as 100 or more years away. Um, but certainly in, certain, in, in cases where there's a tight domain or a tight use case, then Specialized AI, I think, absolutely has some application, and we're already using that in, in zero. Probably the most mundane application of machine learning is making sure you type in the right code number when you're entering your invoices and your bills. And it's not like um, electric cars, or it's not like Amazon Echo, but it's it's important. Um, and so, a little bit jaded, fundamentally inspired by where it could go. Um, but I'm always guided by um, a famous quote that Bill Gates came out with about 15 years ago, which is that we always overestimate the pace of change in a short timeline. In the next two years, we think everything's going to change, and we're usually overambitious in our estimates there. But on a 10-year timeline, we generally underestimate change. And so I think that's where AI is. I think, I think Bill's right with that maxim in, in that we're not going to have like robots... Um, doing very much for us in the next two years um, I think we I think we haven't even thought about or can't even see what that change might be in a decade um, and how we deal with that is that there's a, um, a really amazing thing over the weekend I read and Nvidia who are the graphics card company have been yeah. around for years yeah. it turns out that graphics uh, processors GPUs um, are particularly suited to uh, billions of calculations much more than just a normal CPU having a PC and so NVIDIA now is, is pivoting to become um, at the forefront of um, artificial intelligence development and machine learning development. And there was an article I read over the weekend where they're actually able to, you, you feed it a bunch of faces of real people and then a whole bunch of other faces of other people and different expressions and different, different appearances, yeah. men, women, kids, everything else. And it then completely reconstructs uh, artificially alternative like variations of that that same expression but with different people different hair different <laughs> races different genders different ages and they look like real people but they're entirely artificial and the implications for that are actually quite scary and that, that you could have some you could have like a twitter account that looks like shaheen uh, or looks like a gary yeah. um but actually you, you, it's, it's, it looks like me but it's not me yeah. Or it's me saying something, but it's not my voice. You can already like synthesize somebody's voice right now, and so you could have, basically you can have me on video saying something, and it isn't me, and that has lots of implications. Mm. Uh, it sounds like it might make my life much easier if I have all these clones going around, like <laughs> doing my job for me. 
I wouldn't have to come in and do podcasts so much, but um, <laughs> but actually, from a like social political perspective, that's quite scary. What does that mm, mean for yeah. big things like Brexit and we do another referendum on something? How do you fish out the the bots and the AI and everything? So that part of it actually makes me a little bit nervous, and I don't think we're ready from a government or regulation or societal pr- pr- perspective to kind of know how to deal with that stuff yet. But I have ultimately optimism that we'll work it out. Um, so at the moment, really basic and mundane, sat-nav, uh, Netflix recommendations, making sure that you're keying in the travel and expenses account into zero and not the corporate hospitality account. But I think in 10 years, um, we'll have solved many more of those problems and come up with better applications and maybe not quite so scary applications for it. One of the scariest uh, experiences I had, and this is like a few years ago, obviously now, but uh, when Facebook started asking you whether the person next to you in a picture was like your friend, and it would yeah. recommend like, oh, is this X person? And you'd be like, wait a minute, how does Facebook know that that's mm. that person? And that's purely like the early versions of just like picking up facial recognition. I think, and things do you know, like I think, I, I, I hope I'm not like hopelessly idealistic here, but I think um, we fu- fundamentally... I'm optimistic yeah. that what we're experiencing right now and the kind of more kind of negative dimensions of all this um, kind of AI and fake news and everything else, it, it's just it's more about our inability to realize how much technology and, and, and the internet has actually changed things mm. and we're not catching up. We're now, we're in the 21st century finally, yeah. but we've only just arrived 18 years in. Mm. Uh, and the technology, and we've got a lot of catching up to do, and maybe there's some more regulation that needs to come out around that. But I have um, faith in uh, human ingenuity, and uh, one, of, one of my friends, um, celebrated author um, called Doc Searles, who's um, written, written a few books um, that have really been important to me in my career, uh, came out with all of this narrative about robots coming and automation coming, massively underestimates the. The capabilities that humans have for ingenuity, and we'll work this stuff out. It's really messy and really mm-hmm. kind of uncomfortable right now, but we will work it out, um, and we'll regulate it, or we'll come up with rules, or we'll come up with ways of harnessing it for good. I think, um, but it's a responsibility that technology companies like ours, we actually have to really kind of step up and do our part in that, and be responsible with technology also. So if we just connect the dots, right, with uh, the global impact of AI and machine learning and zero being responsible for putting out great technology that helps small businesses and accountants. Um, what does the recognition mean? So Xero's won a lot of awards this year and of previous years. What, what does that kind of mean in terms of our overall goal of where we want to be as a company and the impact we want to make on the world? So awards are, are a bit of fun, actually. And there's a serious part to it because clearly... Um, We'd be, we'd be really depressed if we didn't win any awards and our competitors won all the awards. And so as far as that's concerned, I mean, we'd like, kind of like, as long as we're winning, awards are fine. Um, but they are, they are quite a, I don't know how much um, our customers really care about the fact that we win awards or not. I think we care about it more than, than perhaps they do. I think ultimately the, the real measure of our success isn't whether we're winning awards, but it's what our customers think. Mm. And so it's net promoter score, it's understanding what that sentiment's like, how do, how do our customers um, feel about their experience of using zero, the value they get from zero. That's the stuff that I think really determines whether we're being successful or not. Awards are quite nice because they kind of fill up the, tra- the trophy cabinet and reception. And we feel good about it, 
but it's a bit of an industry kind of game, I think, that, um, which is fine. Um, but NPS, their promoter score, uh, customer advocacy, the real stuff is, is, is what I get most excited about. And so still on Twitter, still on social, still kind of fishing every day, multiple times a day, just seeing what that sentiment is like, obviously looking at our own internal um, kind of um, ways of capturing how happy or dissatisfied our customers are. And that's the stuff that excites me, is how can we keep improving that. Um, external validation is great. And if it helps us, if it helps another two or three people find out about zero that wouldn't have found out about us, then that's great also. But um, it, it is a bit, um, it, it's a bit of an industry thing, I think. And where do you think we are in terms of the accounting industry in the UK market as a zero, as a cloud provider versus cloud and non-cloud providers? Um, I think um, I'm flattered by, um, again, when I speak to people out in the wild, the number of people that, that A, have heard about mm. us um, and often are using zero. I'm always blown away and completely gobsmacked by that if I'm at some event, I've been at an event um, where I was speaking in the evening about a month ago and, and I'd asked, there was only about 40 people there and asked, how many people had heard of zero and at least like three quarters of the room put their hand up um, and about a third of the room were actually using zero and I'm always blown away, I'm always <laughs> somewhat really surprised by that because um, I clearly remember when nobody would have put their hand up and so it was fantastic just meeting real customers and generally speaking they're always really happy as well and they're very pleased to tell you how well they're getting on with zero and so I think um, we're very lucky that uh, we've been plugging away for a decade now and we've now got quite a, a large number of businesses that love using our product and love telling us mm. about it. And so um, I think it'll be really interesting to see what it'll be in 10 years and what some of that change I spoke about earlier, what is that going to do for our business as we grow and scale and become hopefully um, an even more valuable tool for our customers to mm. use. Yeah. So I think we're in a good, a good, a good place, but I, I still, still feels really early. It still feels like there's many, many more businesses out there that that could use zero and, and could benefit from zero, so that's our job. Yeah, good position to be in, right? Lots mm. of growth to be had, I think, mm. which is good. Um, one of the things you touched upon was, uh, you know, being quite social in the sense that we reach out to our customers. We, you're quite active on social media, of course. Um, have you ever kind of put a draft tweet in where you thought, hmm, shouldn't tweet that? <laughs> or have you ever kind of thought twice about putting out opinions as as a kind of managing director of a, you know, at least a national business or regularly. Business. I, I, delete, I often delete tweets as well. <clears throat> Sometimes I'll um, because nobody. I do all my own social media stuff, yeah. and so I don't. And, and and therefore I have to like be my own editor also. And sometimes it'll occur to me on a train at seven o'clock in the morning to say something, and then <laughs> half an hour later I'll go, oh, "That was a bit dumb." So I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> and I, I'm like absolutely. I. I I have a responsibility. I, I, I want to kind of curate what I say in a way that is balanced, and and some stuff I think is interesting, and not not necessarily other people would agree, or something I'll say is off color, or potentially insensitive, or offensive, or whatever. And so there's so so it wouldn't be the first time I've I've deleted something. Um, fortunately, I don't don't have them very very often. Um, but I think we all have a responsibility, uh, not just to be interesting and post photos of cat videos and pictures and things. And Give that, the people that, what they want. Yeah, that whole <laughs> kind of like look at me thing, which is kind of not that interesting really. 
um, and be genuine and legitimate and, and reflect your personality and reflect what's interesting to you. Um, and, and it can't just be about like promoting your business all the time and, and like how amazing are we and here's another award or here's another because that'll just get I know that if I was following somebody and that's all they did I'd pretty quickly unfollow them because that sounds dull as dishwater um, and so so yeah I think it's um, it's important uh, but it's also important to A be interesting don't talk nonsense uh, respect that other people might not have your context or your understanding to really see where you're coming from on some things, and you can be misconstrued sometimes. Mm. So be sensitive to that. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting skill to learn. Yeah, I think here at Zero as well, it's very much big on build your personal brand, get out there. Why is that such a focus for the, for the business to encourage you know, the, the employees to kind of go out there and get that reputation in the wider world? Um, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, it's not like we have that written down no. anywhere as mm. a as a kind of as a mm. oh, we must do this. I think we're just relaxed that if people want to do that. Then why yeah. would we stop them? Yeah. And I always love the fact. I probably get in trouble with our legal team now, but I always love when I see people on social media and saying like these are my own views, not my employer. It's like, do you yeah. need to say mm. that? Yeah. You know, I don't should, that. Yeah, it's it crazy, should be. Yeah. I, I remember used to. I used to joke. I used to have a blog, way, way, way back before social media, um, and I joked, and and uh, it was a joke. I didn't actually mean it, but it's like these are my views, not my employers. And qu- in quotes, or sorry, in brackets, my employer isn't that smart. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like a different kind of distancing yourself yeah. from your employer. Yeah. <laughs> now my employer at the time was quite smart but I just thought it was funny it's, mm. I think actually people overanalyze that part and um, uh, I think uh, mm. I mean Twitter, Twitter's not everybody's cup of tea I think LinkedIn's kind of interesting LinkedIn has really matured I think in the last five years and it's like a proper business mm. community and and again you can go too far there as well and you have the people put their phone numbers and their names and and you could be a, a lion, which I think is LinkedIn Open Network oh, yeah, member yeah. or something, which again just sounds a bit weird. <laughs> and so you can take it too far and become so invested in that community that you you kind of just like yeah, you just it doesn't yeah. isn't doesn't feel right. Um, but um, I don't think we we want to. I mean, clearly, if somebody created their own Twitter account and were clearly associated with zero, and then started behaving in a way that wasn't in keeping with our values as a, as a business, and whether it was on social media or standing in the street, um, I think we'd go, well, really, do you want to do, do that? Is that really what is going to be helpful mm-hmm. for you in the long run in terms of developing what, your career or what people might think of you, um, being hostile or being antisocial? And, and, but we hopefully do a reasonable enough job of making sure we don't hire people like that in the first place, and mm-hmm. people that have got a, a brain and and want to do good and want to help others generally don't behave that way and so yeah, um, yeah I think we do I, I think we probably do just for the avoidance of doubt we probably do have like a social media policy or guidelines set of rules that you all must adhere to obviously <laughs> but I think our um, culture in, in this business is much more about mm. let's crack on and, and, and do whatever you think is right yeah. and do whatever you think is helpful and, and we'll let you know if you fall mm. off 
<laughs> Hopefully neither of us will receive one of those letters. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, we could talk for hours, right? Like, there's so much interesting stuff that has kind of happened this year with Zero, and there's so much interesting, so many interesting things happening in the next kind of 5, 10, 15 years in technology, and obviously with us all being technologists here, we could just keep talking and talking and talking, but coming to a close, I guess, um, on reflection, what are some of the things that still influence you and still motivate you to kind of keep going with this? Are there like certain podcasts, books, influencers, what, what are kind of things that you uh, that keep you going? Yeah, I'm, uh, I love podcasts. Podcasts are probably the primary medium um, I kind of learn from and understand what's happening there. So I listen to podcasts every day. Rarely listen to the radio, not least because it's really depressing right now in the UK, <laughs> listening to the news and current affairs. And so podcasts are a great way to escape that. Um, and so I love, um, uh, this morning as I was coming in, I was listening to uh, Karish Kara Swisher, who is a pretty uh, highly regarded technology journalist in, in Silicon Valley, and she's written for the Wall Street Journal and a whole lot of things. And she now runs a podcast called uh, Recode Decode, and she's yeah. it's amazing. And the variety of guests and topics that she's covering every week are like I, I don't know. She, I don't know. She, she, she's really highly regarded and is able to get like the coolest, the most switched on people available to come onto our podcast. And That's so, so cool. Recode Decode is really, really good. Really eclectic bunch of technology kind of um, insights that she brings. Um, fintech Insider, which is obviously very much kind of a more of a, a fintech financial services uh, related one, which we we had at ZeroCon last month, and that's, that's always the guys. Fintech Insider did a great job of exposing and shining a light on the world of change and disruption in financial services and banking. Um, and a few other really kind of nerdy ones. Um, Accidental Tech Podcast, which is three guys, three software developers, and it's just really, really interesting insights on what's happening in the world. I'm a big fan of uh, John Gruber, who writes a, a Apple-centric blog uh, called Daring Fireball, and he runs a of talk, uh, a podcast called The Talk Show once every three or four weeks. And so there's, there's loads of them. I must have about 25 podcasts I listen to. And I get frustrated if, like, I haven't heard from one for, like, maybe the, they've gone on holiday and they haven't done one for a couple of weeks, and I begin to get really offended by that. So, no, no, I want to listen to this week's episode, and mm -hmm. you haven't recorded one. I love podcasts. Yeah. It's this yeah. whole idea of... It's on your terms, on demand, wherever you are, yeah. whatever you're doing, on a plane, in the car, on a train, you can like listen to a podcast. So uh, fantastic, love podcasts. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking actually, there um there are a lot of podcasts that maybe like you said they go on holiday and they don't kind of record for a while, um and then you get on the first episode back and go oh sorry to all our listeners that we haven't had a an episode and usually in my mind I just go oh that's okay like. Didn't, didn't really miss you. I kind of listened to other stuff, but now I found the uh, found the listener that I was actually offended that they did. Yeah, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe not offended. In the maybe, yeah, just like craving the yeah. the, the latest hit. Yeah. Addicted. Mm. Last question, and um, kind of let you go after this. But this one is something that uh, I've been really excited about asking you. Outside of accounting, what is the industry that excites you most today? People. So I think that. And people, um, and so I'm, so I'm framing that answer as like a, a, 
outside of accounting and business software, what other technology uh, is emerging that I'm excited around and would be around people. And the reason okay. why I say people or HR to give it this kind of old-fashioned label is that um, I know that, that we invest a lot in the people dimension of zero, um, people experience and the whole way that culture and your experience as an employee in a business fundamentally impacts the success of that business, I think is really, really important. Um, and as I said at ZeroCon, and our theme was human at heart, I think well, on one hand, we, zero exists to transform and bring efficiency to the job of the nuts and bolts of running a business and the financials. Um, but as much as that's really interesting, I think the other big change that's happening in the world of business is, is becoming much more about people. And the people experience is a really important part of that. And I think that it's fair to say that maybe 20 odd, 30 years ago, most businesses were cottoning on to the fact that there's a direct connection between the level of customer service that you bring to your customers and their likelihood to continue to be a customer is a direct connection to high customer service and successful business. And I think businesses are now just beginning to recognize there's also a correlation between happy employees and success in your business. And, and therefore, if um, I think that maybe the, the next most exciting zero kind of uh, like product or sphere of change will be around people and people experience and culture and how you transform and drive and, and shape and influence how your people feel in your business because your people massively can connect with your customers, therefore your customers can never be happier than your people are. <clears throat> and I think it's ripe for disruption and it's ripe in most businesses um, for improvement as well. And so I think if I, if I wasn't doing zero, then I'd be in some zero in HR or zero in the world of people, I think. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Well, we're ready to finish. Gary, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Gary. Too. And if um, people wanted to find out more or listen more from you, um, where could they find you? Um, well, um, so the, the, the best, um, the, the area that I'm probably on most frequently would be uh, Twitter. So I'm at Gary Turner on Twitter. And whatever I'm thinking or uh, whatever I'm doing usually finds its way onto that. And some of it doesn't get deleted. <laughs> some, there's like a whole other Twitter account for all my kind of antisocial bullying stuff. <laughs> I can't tell you about that. <laughs> Gary, thank you so much. Thanks, Gary. Thank you once again to Gary Turner for taking the time out to be part of our end of year special. Um, and thanks again to my co-host, Matt Lucas. And thank you. No worries. Um, so, Matt, if uh, people wanted to find you, how can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Matt Lucas Tweets. And you can find me on Twitter as well, at Shaheen Badrani. Until then, um, we'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Cheers.